0: Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Adam Perry. Today, I am actually, honestly, truly excited to be talking with Jessica, who is the global CEO for C-Space, the customer agency. And Keisha, who is the Vice President, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at C-Space. And we're going to talk a little bit about DEI. Jessica leads a globally diverse workforce across the USA, APAC, Europe, and South America with a shared purpose of making business more human. And Keisha brings her extensive experience building cross-functional teams that make change happen. Uh, Prior to C-Space, Keisha served as a philanthropy fellow at the Duke Endowment and subsequently served as the National Partnership Manager of Citizen Schools. Welcome to the pod. How are you guys doing today?
1: Great. Great. Thanks, Adam.
0: All right. I want to rewind all the way back to 2020. Today's topic is about DEI. And for those folks who who may not know what DEI stands for, can one of you guys break it down for our audience um, so that we can all dial in?
2: Sure. I can give the high-level overview. So DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. The way to think about each of those is diversity is essentially the who, who you're inviting in the room, who you're inviting to the party. That's a common analogy. The equity is really about treating everyone fairly and equitably, even if that might mean using different strategies or approaches to bring different groups in. It's getting everyone to the same place. And then the inclusion piece is really the how. So once you bring all of this diversity in, it's how do you make people feel included? How do you make them feel like they belong? How do you allow them to show up as their full selves? So that, that's a DEI in a nutshell.
0: That's a great definition. And this has become a hot button topic over the last couple of years as businesses try and figure out how to incorporate this into their daily practices. Let, rewinding back to 2020, when we were talking earlier, you said that was the kickoff point of when you started to really dig in your heels here and make this a core part of your C-SPACE's DNA. Let's talk a little bit about that. Talk to me about the genesis of of DEI and C-SPACE and where you guys were as you began to think about what you wanted to do to make definitive change for your own DEI initiative.
1: I'm happy to kick it off from the perspective of the leadership perspective. And Keisha, I think Your experience in the business and your experience having been in the business and some of the stuff we were getting right and getting wrong will be really valuable perspective as well. Yep, I would suggest that June 2020 with George Floyd's murder, that was likely one of the most important moments in my professional career. I can remember it so vividly now because it was such a critical experience for me and has shaped, has changed the way I see the world so significantly, although still recognize that I'm on a journey of learning here, as many people are. So we were all kind of hunkered down with COVID. Everyone was at home. George Floyd was murdered. I woke up, I think in the morning, heard it on the radio, heard some of the things that were coming out around it and thought, gosh, you know, we are... A company that prides itself on having different voices heard and giving different voices a platform and creating safe space for people to be in this organization and be their full selves. It feels like we should have a point of view on this, but I'm I'm not sure what it should be. So at that point, we had a a group called the Allies Group, which was a group of people that were organized around supporting our diversity efforts within C-SPACE. And I, I sent a note to them and I said, I'd love some perspective on what you think we should be doing around George Floyd's murder and in this moment in time. I'm a little blurry on exactly the chain of events after that, but essentially what ended up happening is I had a meeting over Microsoft Teams where we met virtually over video conference with the Allies Group. And we came into that virtual room and I said, what do you all think we should be doing? This incredible group of leaders had the braveness to say to me at that moment, as a senior leader, as somebody who felt relatively confident that we were doing the right thing, had the bravery to say to me at that moment, Jessica, you're crazy if you think we have like a leg to stand on with this. We have done so very little as a business. We've made such Poultry commitments to diversity, equity, inclusion within C Space. And you need to wake up and we need to do something different if we have ever want to have a chance to be able to tell the world what they should be doing. Wow. It was a really shocking, upsetting, eye opening moment for me. And it's taken some time to come to fully appreciate and realize what I was exposed to that day. But I think in a nutshell, the thing that hurts me the most when I think back on that and, and still like creates the passion inside me for doing this is the realization that like the greatest privilege that you can have is the privilege to not have to worry about what other people think and what other people feel. The greatest privilege is somebody who has enough privilege to not have to care about what people that are different than you are think and feel. And again, never, you know, these things aren't typically intentional, but that's not an excuse for them. They still are what they are and people still experience them the way they experience them. And I think it was in that moment that, you know, and it wasn't overnight, but very quickly recognized that we, we better be doing something really different. And in fact, not only because it was the right thing for us to do, but in fact, we weren't getting the full selves from the people in our business because we weren't handling this the right way. That was the way I experienced it. It was life changing and a really hard time. And it actually still gives me like, I can feel it in my stomach when I think back on that moment still today. But I'm grateful every day that I had that moment. But I'll let Keisha, I'll let you share your perspective as well, because I'm sure you've got really interesting experience of that.
2: Yeah. And I think for me, I wasn't as close to leadership then as I am now. So this is experiencing it, not knowing what the talks were kind of in the back room and like email threads going on. I think in general, people were just raw then. I mean, that mix of like, you know, this is 2020. We're like fully shut down in the middle of this unprecedented pandemic, which feels like normal life now, which is insane. But, and to have that moment, I think where the world woke up, the racism in America. For me personally, I had a million people that reached out. So I, I will say one of the great things at c spaces is our people, and people make those connections one-on-one. So I had a lot of people that reached out to say, are you okay? How are you? And for me, having, I grew up in D.C. and Atlanta to like predominantly Black cities with like predominantly Black leadership. I went to historically Black college, although I've spent a lot of time at predominantly White schools as well. This was just a way of life. So it actually took me a little bit of time to understand what they were reaching out about, because I was like, this is not new, It's not a new thing for us. This is how we experience life. But I know people definitely appreciate it, the reach out. But I think, you know, the murder of George Floyd was a moment when for underrepresented people, marginalized groups. It gave us this permission to speak out in a way that we never had at work. So whereas in the past, you might find things frustrating. You had a friend outside of work. You had your like really good friend maybe within work. These were side conversations happening. And all of a sudden, there was this space to be able to speak up. And so I think that's a lot of where Jessica was able to hear such like raw, direct feedback that otherwise would have been veiled behind this idea of like, you don't speak to the CEO that way, but there was just so much emotion. And I think there's something to the fact that everybody's within the confines of their house. And we were generally at home at that point that probably made people even more comfortable. And it gave this space to have these honest conversations. And as hard as they were, I mean, there were tears. <laughs> there was, people did not filter themselves but I really appreciated that for the first time in my career, that there was the space to actually like bring these topics to the forefront. I think it actually also helped with Jessica in particular, seeing this kind of vulnerable side. And I think that's a really important thing for leadership to not feel like you have all the answers, not be defensive, to not have that wall up, to be able to show. I don't have the answers and I just want to listen. I just want to listen and I want to learn. I think that actually went a a long way in just kind of our leadership overall. Because at the time, Jessica, weren't you pretty new to being, you were still president then. Yeah. Became CEO during this journey. So it was, it was definitely, I think a, a really great moment for people to just connect with, you know, our most senior leadership in a way that they hadn't before.
0: Yeah, you say two things that strike me there. One is if you were to give a list of qualities in leadership at for-profit companies, generally vulnerability isn't among the characteristics that you would probably list among them, but we're having this unique moment. And I think working from home has blurred that line between what's professional life and what's home life. And maybe that gave us a space for leaders to be vulnerable and be okay with that and probably we're, we're better for it. Okay, so let's talk about for this, again, we're still in 2020. We decided that we're we're gonna take a stance and try and enact change. What did that look like in its first iteration or its first flavor? Like, What did you wanna get done?
1: I can give you a couple reflections and then Keisha, you can share from your perspective as well. Yeah. But I think first and foremost, what was really important to us is to make some commitments. So really, like, if we're going to do this, we need to make some commitments. And I think we also recognize that they needed to be strong commitments, like commitments that were actually going to require a good amount of change, and they needed to be long term commitments. So that was the first thing that we did was to make some commitments around what the population, what our employee population looked like, what the background was. And we had set some pretty ambitious goals around the percent of BIPOC Employees that we have in in the business, which was going to require and still requires a, a fair amount of change. I think we've learned a lot through that, Keisha, and it was the right it was the right goal to set because it really anchored our work, and I think it also made our work very focused on we need to get it right internally first. And we've learned some stuff. I mean, again, I wouldn't necessarily change that, but I think we've learned a lot in terms of what's required to actually get to those levels of diversity with our employee population. That's about more than hiring. There's a lot that goes into actually being effective in creating a really diverse employee organization that we're still on the journey with. But I do think first and foremost, making some commitments to channel, to focus our energy and to, to force us to make a long-term commitment around this. And then I think the other stuff that I would add to it is it was very, and we heard loud and clear from the allies group that like we had work to do on ourselves before we could ever begin to think that we were going to advise our clients or even have like a really strong voice in the marketplace around this. So we said, this is about ourselves. We need to set some goals to focus our energy and also to acknowledge that this is a long-term commitment that we're making around this.
2: Yeah, and what's interesting is that, so on the other side, and I guess we should frame this by saying I wasn't in my current role as being over diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what happened then on the other side is people were essentially looking like day by day to see like, what is the company gonna say? What's the statement that's gonna be made? They haven't said anything yet. Why are they saying anything? Is this not important enough? And in hindsight, we act, it wasn't like a huge turnaround time. We're talking maybe maybe a couple, a couple weeks, weeks or so, yeah. but I think it was just long enough for people to feel a little restless. However, going back over everything and like looking through it in hindsight, even those like couple weeks of sitting were still, still pretty reactive. And when I look back at those commitments, and I think I think it was good and what we needed for the moment. But now when I talk to clients, my advice is wait. Where we're at right now is that in the past, diversity was this like kind of a legal thing. And let's make sure we have our statement on our job hiring and that you know we're hiring like just enough people and let's make sure we're not breaking any laws. And like, how do we release press release? And now it's really about this acknowledgement that racism and diversity broadly beyond racism. So I should say diversity is inclusive of race, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, disability, and like every facet. But now it's really coming to understand that we exist in a system that was created for straight white men. And so in order to change anything, it means you have to rebuild that system. And rebuilding a system takes time. So when you react overnight, The odds that you're reacting in a way that's actually going to create systemic change are very small, very small. So the two weeks, I think, and this is where like all of those commitments that we had are still our commitments to this day, because the two weeks probably gave just enough time (laughs) to be able to, to like scratch the surface there. But I would even say, you know, now if a client has an issue, take your time, like don't feel the need to like react so quickly, communicate to your people so they know you're not silent, right? So we could have come out with the statement the next day, hindsight 2020, right? Could have come out with a statement internally the next day to say, we are meeting, we are listening, we are understanding, and we are figuring out the right way to move forward and then take the time that's necessary to do that. But these are all things that you learn after after the fact, I think. So, yeah, there was a lot of pressure, I think, on, on leadership, you know, to say something, to do something, right? And I, I don't know, Jessica, if you fully felt that pressure from people at that time.
1: I think that's such an awesome point, Keisha, that pause, like go slow to go fast. But the pause and taking a breath and collecting ourselves, I think it's such great advice. And it's really easy to lose track of that in the moment when there is so much pressure and so much noise and so much unrest around an issue. So it's a great, it's a great comment. I don't know if I would change what we did. Cause I actually think making those commitments has forced us to, to keep moving ahead and in the moment really did focus our energy, but I really appreciate that point a lot.
0: Let me ask you guys this, Keisha, you brought up that the program underwent some change over time. If we fast forward a little bit, maybe into 2021, do you want to talk a little bit about the struggle of enacting that change and what, if any, pivots you had to execute in the program on, on the way to hitting some of those, you know, short-term milestones or or inventing new milestones? Because maybe the original milestones were, you know, okay, but there could be other ones. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. You know, once we got through 2020, I think that's when we definitely focused in on ourselves and put ourselves first. We closed the business down for a day globally to have what we called our DEI day, which was a day of reflection, kind of education. We brought speakers in really to highlight the importance. I think the shift then towards late 2020 going into 2021 was that it was time to address this with our clients as well. So whereas we had focused, so I think it's important to understand that while you need to make sure you've got everything in order internally before you're really you know, making big efforts externally, it's still going to end up being parallel tracks because this isn't like a checkbox and then you move on. Like one, we've got everything perfect. (laughs) All employees are just the best ever. Like that's not going to happen before you can then move on. I think also there's something to beginning to shift to think about how does this impact your business beyond that internal piece? Because that's where we're at now where DEI doesn't just live within HR. It's not just about hiring. It's really about, How do you start to move the needle across everything? So we were getting more clients coming to us with questions, and it required us then to be able to answer those questions. So I think that was a big shift for us. And it also got a lot of our consultants on board. So whereas some people, it's a tough topic. It's an uncomfortable topic. It gets people out of their comfort zones for us we have you know we're a consulting organization so i think our consultants were able to more easily learn about dei in the context of work than personal because they were used to consulting on topics that they knew nothing about they were used to getting on, out of their comfort zone and like upskilling and learning different things and in doing that, then it starts to bleed into the personal as well, because once you've kind of learned it in that front, you, you almost have to apply it personally. So I think that was a big turning point for us. We also had a DEI board globally. We set up one in the Americas and one out of London. And then I think that group was able to really focus in on these education opportunities and just kind of keep that conversation going which was really helpful, I would definitely say, your end goal is to get DEI embedded across your business. In the beginning, you need somebody that can like keep the focus there and keep bringing it up and feel a little bit like the squeaky wheel. And that's what our DEI board was for that time.
0: Okay, you mentioned something that was interesting. And that is you begin to talk about DEI with your customers. I understand that not all customers were sure about how to tackle this or if to tackle this any anecdotal stories that either of you want to share about those experiences just to give folks like an idea that just because you decide to do something that's good and right and healthy doesn't necessarily mean like everyone's going to be like, "Yay, we're all doing it." Anything you want to share there?
2: Yeah, I think some clients especially like in 2020 early 2021 retail clients, clients that, you know, a lot of B2C clients, but particularly, I'd say a lot in like the retail space, that felt like a natural thing for them. They were really clear, like, okay, there's all of this unrest going on, you know, related to social justice. How do we speak up? Because we have people coming into like brick and mortar stores, and we're interacting in a one-to-one way. I think companies that fell outside of that we like, how does this affect me? I don't know how this like, you know, affects my banking. Huh. It was hard for them to really understand, you know, in the end, what it is, is that you want to be able to understand all of your customers, no matter who they are. And that may mean that might be directly, you know, depending on your business model where you're creating a commercial that resonates better, or it may be in a more indirect way. I remember one of our vice presidents had a client who was uh, black and he was like, I had never once talked about her being black over the course of like probably like a six, seven year relationship, had never once talked about her being black. And this gave that opportunity for him to say, Hey, how are you holding up with all of this? How are you doing? And it deepened the connection and the relationship. So even at that level of just like looking at your customers as people. And how do you interact with people? And that might be on a one on one level with your vendors or partners or different client type relationships, or it may be at a larger scale with how are you connecting to them with, through your marketing.
1: I think the other really important opportunity that we have at C Space, because we have these deep relationships with our clients' customers, we have an opportunity to actually have real voices help our clients to understand why this is important. So, again, Depending on the experiences that different individuals have, the strategy an organization has, what an organization's customers are telling them, the idea of DEI is on different places on people's agenda. And I think that what I have seen, one of the most powerful things that we can do, because we talk to real people and we have real voices, there's nothing more powerful in terms of changing perspectives and attitudes towards something than hearing directly from a customer or someone that's important to you why this issue is important to them or what it means to them when you're not addressing it or not doing something about it. It's incredible the opportunity we have to enlighten people about what the opportunity of this is, both from a business as well as humanity standpoint. And so that's one of the opportunities we have, but it's not always easy because not all clients are ready to hear this stuff.
2: And actually one of the things that Jessica did, so this is part of how I ended up in my role, was we had run research around covid Because this was kind of a similar, like very quick moving issue that was going to have broad implications. How do we get our clients and customers prepared for this? So we ended up providing research because some of our clients weren't ready to connect with their customers and be direct in that way. So instead of going on kind of a client by client level and saying, hey, you may want to like look at some research around how people are feeling in this time. We just ran that research with our own panel we have of customers and created a video and a report to basically say, like, what are customers expecting of brands in this time? And then we shared that with clients because I think we had to be able to share with them. This is why this matters. And this is a taste of like what people are thinking. And you've got to go deeper and understand this more with your particular clients and what that means for your specific business. But we kind of took out like one of those hurdles. I think it would have been, I think it might have taken a little longer if we just left it to each company to figure out what they needed to do. But in being able to provide like, you know, a little bit of a a bridge for them to say like, here, you don't have to roll the dice or get support on this internally. We're going to tell you like, here's what we're hearing from people.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you're able to use research and data to help as an on-ramp to have a, a real, what's more of an emotional conversation, right? But that data helps us open the door, like any other project where you might have emotions which factor in having some sort of baseline for common communication, some, hey, here's where we are, here's what's happening, here's what the research tells us that this is an important topic, that makes it real, as opposed to just a thought exercise, what if we did this, what if we did that? Okay. I'm going to move our timeline forward a little bit. We've talked a little bit about the iterations that you've gone through and how you went internal to external and some of the changes that you've made over time. Let's fast forward to the present day. One of the things that is really important to me is these little moments where we say, okay, I've learned some things here, some distinct things that I didn't know at the beginning of the conversation these moments, these vignettes. And we have all three of us talked about a bunch of different ones. Maybe if each of you could just give like uh, one or two significant moments or takeaways. We're like, oh, I want to make sure the audience hears about this. Why don't we start with you, Jessica?
1: I have a couple thoughts. For me, again, I'm a little bit like a broken record here, but I just think listening to real voices around these issues and people that are experiencing these issues are struggling because these issues are less than their full selves because of the issues we have around diversity and also listening to people who like, for whom this is a new topic, but this listening to real people, I think is the most critical thing that we can do as leaders and helping our organizations to listen to real people. And again, it's the way we started. So it's the way it became clear to me It's the way we started internally at C-Space and it's what we hope to do with our clients as well. Like there is nothing more meaningful than listening to real people about why this topic is important. And again, as I said before, I believe that it's important. And you brought up earlier, Adam, this idea of for-profit or non-for-profit. We're a for-profit company. Most of our clients are are for-profit companies. So it's important to recognize that it's the right thing to do for sure. It's been, it's taken too long for us to make some of these changes and have more, intentional work against the topic of creating diverse and equitable and inclusive organizations. But I also think it's the right thing to do for business because companies need to serve all of their customers. Customers need to feel like they're heard. And as a business, I do believe that people can bring so much more to their work if they feel like they're seen and heard and recognized for who they are, their whole selves, and not marginalized or asked to kind of fit into a a form that doesn't necessarily reflect who they believe themselves to be or how they see themselves.
0: Yeah. Just to be clear here, what you're really saying is that I'm going to have more productive employees if they feel like they can be their, their truest selves. And I'm also going to have a better, more loyal customer base if they feel like the brands they're associated with see them and hear them and build products or services with them in mind. That's right.
1: That's right. And there's no better way to get that started than listening to human beings who are affected by some of these issues. Absolutely. Listening really hard and asking questions and trying to put aside all of the beliefs and biases and experiences that we bring to the conversation that make it hard to hear and understand different people's different experiences in life.
0: All right, Keisha, we didn't steal all of your thunder. I know that there's a couple other points that you were definitely wanting to make as well. What are some things you'd like our audience to take away?
2: Yeah, the first would be for people like me who are in marginalized groups who find themselves passionate about this. You know, find your voice. Like, don't be afraid to speak up. It's definitely helpful when you have leadership that was open to hearing. But I think these days, a lot of, you know, whether or not a company has addressed it yet, It's still something that they know. It's not a completely foreign topic. So don't be afraid to be the one that kind of cracks the door open and find advocates. Find advocates at the leadership level that can help back this and kind of push it through. But it's a real opportunity area. The other piece is not thinking of DEI as a problem that has to be solved and like take it out of the sense of. You know, this is an issue and we've got to figure out how to like, how do we keep this in control? Look at it as an innovation area. I think the parallel I see is when you think of COVID and the amount of innovation, like particularly technological innovation that's happened in response to COVID. I think it's the same thing. Like, how do we use this as a point to really fast forward and think about new ways to connect with people, to see people, to make, you know, much more deep connections and relationships. And then I'll sneak one more in. The other one is don't be afraid of getting things wrong. Like get comfortable being uncomfortable. You will say the wrong thing, period. It's not an if, it's a when. And be okay with that. Be okay that you'll get it wrong because the alternative is you just don't say anything and you stay quiet and no progress happens that way. Even in the missteps, it's still progress because there's still a lesson to be learned from those missteps.
0: Keisha, I loved that so much. We probably do more damage being quietly polite than we do from being willing to take a risk and say a thing. And maybe it's the wrong thing. Maybe it's the wrong thing. And we then we get the feedback and we say, yep, I get it now. And we move on versus saying nothing, which is, you know, the silent killer.
1: Can I add one more? Yeah. I do think. Although, again, I like the idea of pausing before you make commitments and making sure you're making the right commitments. But I do think making some commitments is really critical. This is not easy, and it's a long-term journey that you have to make a commitment to. And so I think without those kind of bigger, bolder commitments to it, it would be possible for organizations to have it be prioritized or to lose track of it or not put the focus on it. And I just think making those commitments to it and sticking with it and Continuing to give voice to people who will remind you if it feels like you're not sticking to it, thank you, Keisha, is just really critical because this is this does not get fixed overnight. Like We've got a lot of work to do. It's going to require all of us to keep working at it and stay committed, even when it's hard. And even when you run into problems and you think you've solved stuff or you think you've gotten over a hurdle and you find that there's an, another challenge along the way or another new way of thinking or another opinion you need to change. So making those commitments, and I think again reframing it as Keisha said, as an opportunity in all of it, can yeah. help you keep the energy when it feels more challenging.
0: Yeah, and holding up the mirror too to show them that that we're still on this journey and it's very early. Like I deeply believe in checking in and saying, what kind of progress have we made? And using data to, to showcase some of those decisions is really helpful in people to can continue with this effort. Okay. So we've got to wrap up here, but I will say, usually we ask people for a book or another podcast or an interesting, but one of the things that we talked about offline was that you guys do have this great video. I kind of want to push people to go check out this piece of content that you created. Would that be okay? It'd be
2: great. Yeah. Yep. It's available on our website and it feels a little, I won't say it's outdated. The sentiments are still there, but it, you know, we ask. Customers, how are you feeling in this moment directly following George Floyd? And we pulled that together in a video, and it's directly their voices. A lot of what they said, we used that to inform the, the photos and the imagery from different scenarios they mentioned. And it really captures how people were feeling in that moment. I think you'll also see on our website the evolution of that to talk more around inclusivity. So it kind of went from, I think, a very strong stance on race to more of, you know, how does everybody show up? How does everybody bring their full selves? And what does that look like? So you'll see both of those videos on our site.
0: Great. We'll pop the link direct to that piece of content right in the pod. So folks who are listening to the pod can give it a click and check it out. Thank you guys so much for being such an important topic. I hope we get to talk about it more. Maybe you guys will come back and give me an update a year
2: from now. That would be great. Thanks,
0: this was nice. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand-Based TV.